back to another episode of Well at Path. Psalm 22 meets with us in a time of despair, uh, when we feel unheard, uh, even abandoned. While it may seem that we shouldn't feel this way, the truth is we do. So did David, and I think we may find a remedy here for those situations. First, how was your week? So I'm kind of sitting here looking around my room, and I'll admit it's got a lot of stuff in it. I am a collector of many things. Uh, among my Star Wars, Star Trek, Batman, Marvel, and other collectibles, I have a bookshelf that contains all kinds of study literature to aid in my Bible studies. And since we're going into a topic that's very heavy, uh, I hope you will excuse my momentary uh, silly thoughts as I look around the room. Because as I look at the books and the collectibles around my office, I can't help but wonder, why don't we have, like, Bible action figures? I'd love to have, like, Paul and Barnabas on the shelf in, like, the diorama of the Philippian prison. Or Peter on a rooftop with the big sheet of animals just kind of hanging in front of him. Well, we have these heroes in our faith, ones that we're so familiar with, yet all too often, I guess, I don't feel like we celebrate them enough. Where's our, where's our David action figure with uh, sling and pebbles as the deluxe set accessories? I mean, it sounds a little silly, and at the same time, I guess to me, it, it doesn't. And what about heroes of our faith today? Do you have a mentor or a pastor who's been there for you in times of need? Uh, someone God has used in your life to really be used by the Holy Spirit uh, to point out the right direction or to call you out when you're headed in the wrong direction. And maybe that's it. Maybe we don't have those collectibles or action figures because at the heart of it all is God, and we shouldn't make a graven image of him. Well, at least not a at least not a graven image to worship. If I had the room though to build a desert tabernacle to scale with the Shekinah cloud of glory over the temple that was a cloud during the day, but at night LEDs came on and inside on inside it and it looked like it was on fire. I mean, come on. That would be pretty cool. And as long as I wasn't worshiping it, would it be wrong? As we look at David, he's definitely one of those heroes of faith. More and more I see in these Psalms is that we go through every week that he was so human. He struggled. He committed sins some of us may never have even thought of committing, yet his acknowledgement and repentance for those sins continually drew him closer to God, his heavenly father. This is one of those times where he seems to have done something that he felt may have put a rift between him and God. Or maybe he and God just weren't on the same page in a situation in his life. But let's take a look at the psalm and see where the Holy Spirit takes us. Uh, psalm 22, beginning in verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? Or from the words of my roaring. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent, 
But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing that he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye seed of Jacob, glorify him, and fear him, all ye seed of Israel. For he hath not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Okay, so... That, that's a lot to take in. 
And I'm going to address something very obvious real quick because it goes back to the general narrative we discussed at the beginning of the study of how the thread of Christ is sewn into every psalm. And in this psalm, it's more obvious than in others. Uh, we can see in verse 1, at, at the very least, that this was quoted by Christ on the cross, and he would have grown up knowing and learning this psalm. It would have been no coincidence and surely not lost on any of the Jews that were present at the crucifixion where this particular quote came from. Now, some, when they heard it, it may have enraged them even further, in their minds justifying even more their false reasoning for Christ to be crucified, and for others it may have been eye-opening, especially if they really knew the psalm and the specific verses of uh, verse 7, and they that see me laugh me to scorn, they shoot out the lip, they shake their head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Which we can see paralleled in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 39, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. Or the parallels beginning in verses 12 through 18, the bulls of Bashan in verse 12 being political and social adversaries to David, mirroring the political and social adversaries of Christ present at the cross. In verse 15, David speaks of being so thirsty that his tongue was sticking to the inside of his mouth. And then we see the cry of our Lord from the cross of, I thirst, in John 19, 29 which the passage even tells us Jesus said to ensure that prophecy was fulfilled, a prophecy he gave David by way of the Holy Spirit. And the dogs that compassed David about much like what the Jews would have considered the Romans who gathered around Christ. And in verses 16b, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell... I can see, what, when, when David says, I may tell all my bones, he's saying, I can see all my bones. I can like count them. They, those that, when he says they, it, it, for when we look at it from Christ's perspective, it's those that saunter by and stand around our Lord on the cross. They look and stare upon me. And when we look at how Christ was publicly shamed there at the cross, and as we looked at how he had been beaten, how he could see the, the flesh that had been torn from his bones. And then we look at how the Jews would have viewed the Gentile dogs and where it says, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture here in this psalm. But we see these verses acted out so horrifyingly in John 19, 23, and 24. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, 
but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, this scripture, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now, why is it so important that we see these parallels in this passage to how Christ suffered on the cross? It's so that when we meet David in verse 1, we know that our Lord and Savior met him there as well. Our Lord and Savior, for excruciating hours, felt what it was like to be separated from his Father, to be the sin he knew his Father despised. And that he bore it for us. He went through that for us. Willingly. And while the thread of Christ weaves its way through the Psalms, it is here in this Psalm that we see it once again in sharp relief. It's here that we know that if our God could take the one who he had to forsake for but a brief moment and restore him fully resurrect him completely, this is what he bestows on us when we accept the sacrifice made that day. This is how we stand complete in him. This is the beauty of God's grace and mercy. This is how much he loved and how much he loves us. So let's move to the application for our lives. If you'll remember, this isn't the first time that David has felt forgotten. Uh, remember a few weeks ago when we were with him in the psalm that begun, Lord, how long? And we dealt with the times that we feel like he'll never give us an answer. Well, obviously, we only needed one psalm for that, right? Because we couldn't possibly feel that way multiple times in our lives. You know, we're going to see throughout our journey here that David felt it many times over in his life, just as we have and just as we will. And why do we continually go through it? We fail to remember how God's timing worked to our favor in the past, and we get impatient in our flesh over and over again. Because of our flesh, we will deal with despair over and over again. Now, that doesn't make us sinners, but it does happen because we're sinners. I mean, how often have we ever thought in our heads, God, why haven't you helped me out of this yet? God, why haven't you healed me yet? God, you bless in every other aspect of my life. Why are you forsaking me here in this particular area? Is it your health? Are you saying to yourself, I can't seem to get over this ailment? I can't seem to find the right doctor to correctly diagnose this sickness. I know something is wrong. Doctors can't find it quickly enough. Doctors can't find it accurately. Why has the Lord forsaken me in this cancer? Why do I still have this disease? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe it's your family. Well, my family is struggling. This isn't how it was supposed to be. My kids aren't following you, God. Why have you forsaken them? My marriage just seems to be floundering. Can't you help? 
my parents are like this and my siblings are like that. Why can't you save them from where they're at? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or maybe it's your finances. Lord, why don't I have more money? Why aren't you helping me find a better job? Why did you give me this job? Lord, I'm struggling at my job. Where are you? Lord, this thing just went wrong with the house. This just went wrong with the car. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And maybe it's something that goes so much deeper. Maybe it goes into our souls. Maybe our spirit feels defeated. Lord, I just, I don't feel loved. Lord, why am I so depressed? Lord, why do I feel like I'm alone out here? Have, have you turned your back on me? And you pray silently. And you pray with a yell. And you pray in agony and frustration. You pray in the day and into the deep hours of the night. And still, you feel like he doesn't hear you. Lord, everyone else is praising you. Everyone else seems blessed by you. My friends, my family, my church family, I've seen you help them. I've seen you deliver them when they trust you. I've heard them praise you, and I've heard why they're praising you. And they weren't confused or frustrated. And here I am. I feel lower than a worm. I feel unseen. I feel like I'm not even being acknowledged as human. And then I feel like my unsaved friends and family just laugh at me. They keep mocking me, just bashing me, and, and then even bashing you, Lord. And they, they tell me, hey, well, you trusted in the Lord and your health hasn't gotten better. Your finances haven't gotten better. Your family situation hasn't gotten better. And we thought God was supposed to bless and deliver his people. And doesn't it hurt when we hear the mocking of the wicked, the unsaved, when we know how good our God is? And when we just want him to show them in how he helps us, how good he is. Have we ever stopped and thought that maybe if they saw joy in our suffering, thankfulness to a God who comforts us in our troubles, that they would even more sharply see how he blesses, that we can trust him even when we feel like he's so far from us? His proximity is not changed by our perception of his presence. He's always near, always propping us up, even when we can't feel it. But he knew us when we were conceived. He had plans for us all the way down to he knew that he would be our hope before we could even eat solid food. He knew before the foundations of the world all that would trust him and because of that knowledge called them chosen. Does God not hear the call? of those he has chosen? When we call on him for help, do we wait for his timing 
knowing that there is none other that can help us? Who can help us with our finances? We could borrow money from someone. We could accept a gift from someone. But who will help us when that someone's just not around? Who can provide for us when the budget doesn't math out? And yet, here we are, food on the table, bills paid, blessed by God. Who can help in our health? You know, doctors can prescribe medications, treatments, but when the pain doesn't stop or the ailment never ends until we reach the other side of this life, who will save us once and for all from those things? What if the only miracle we ever experience is the miracle of dancing with our Savior on the other side of our physical expiration? Modern medicine can't really help. It can only delay and treat. The help comes when we're finally rid of this sinful flesh and present with the Lord. While that may not be the hope that stops the side effects of whatever we're suffering from, how much sweeter the day when we suffer no more. To appreciate our Savior in a way only we will be able to who have suffered so much in this life. And who can help our family? Can family counseling help? And while there are great counselors out there and family counseling can be a great tool, who can really help with our family troubles? Who can help us forgive the way that we need to? Who can help us love the way that we need to? Who can give the remedies we need to show our families and friends that God is over everything in our lives and that he's the solution for every hurt we can imagine? Lord, don't be far from me. Trouble is near. You know, we look around at our social and political climate and see nothing but opposition everywhere. It's easy to feel forsaken in today's climate. It's easy to feel as if God has turned his back on where we live and the freedoms and general social Christianity we used to know. Yet there are other nations who've never known that. Should they also feel forsaken to have never known it? And like David, sometimes do we feel drained? Do we feel dehydrated? Spiritually, do we feel shamed and exposed because we've fallen into a troubled season and we feel like we just can't be sustained by what God is giving us because we feel that he's just so far away? Is your strength dried up? Do we feel like we can't go on? Do we feel like everything good in our life is just a punctuating on a sentence, on a paragraph of bad things? Do we want to cry out, Lord, stay close to me. Be my strength. Lord, just help me. I feel like you're so far away. Deliver me and the ones I love from despair. This despair that I feel, the weakness I feel. Lord, deliver me from this depression that I'm in. And we see that David provides us with an answer. How? How can we triumph over despair? How can we come to the realization that our God is ever with us? 
How can we get to a place where we can see that he cares, where we can see that he's ever the good father to us as children? I will declare thy name to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I will praise God every chance I get in front of my church family. I'll tell them to praise God as well because he's working, he's moving, he's real, he's near. And we talked about this last week. Do we praise him when we get the answer, but it's not the one we want? Do we praise him when he moves us through a time where we really have to lean on him? Do we praise him when our finances go wrong? Do we praise him for another day of life, even it starts with a reminder of how frail and sickly and broken we are? Do we praise him when we have troubles in our family because we know we can lean on him in those struggles? Do we praise him for our family? And do we give him the glory? Do we give him glory in our hurt, glory in our pain? Do we give him glory in our weakness by glorying in his strength? Since he saved you, has he ever despised you? That, that means has he ever looked down on you, told you that you're not worth helping? Has he ever looked at what you were going through and not helped in his timing at any point in your past? And did we praise him for those things then? Are we capable of still praising him for those things now? And I get it, man, it's hard. It's hard to remember the feast that he gives us when we feel like the famine has been going on for ages. I get so lost in my current struggle or issue or problem or worry that I forget how many times he's pulled me through, set me on a mountain on the other side of the darkest valley. And how many times have we eaten, have I eaten at the table of his bounty and been so full, I couldn't have possibly handled any more of his blessing. Yet I forget all too easily when I cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he'll never leave me or forsake me. He promised me that in Matthew 28. And if I know anything about God, I know he always makes good on his promises. Do we want to start feeling, stop feeling forsaken by God? Praise him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So rejoice in his blessing. He saved you. you. You could have gone through every trial on your own, but in accepting Christ as your savior, the one who was truly forsaken for us, we no longer have to face anything in life on our own. We never have to be alone because on the cross, he suffered the depths of loneliness for us. And in light of so great a salvation, how can we not rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. 
When you feel like you've been praying something forever, keep praying. God doesn't go to work on our timetable. He's not punching the clock of our lives. We serve him and he blesses us and shows us unimaginable grace and mercy. So pray about everything. And if we're rejoicing in our prayer, I firmly believe that we'll find that the more we pray, the more we'll praise him for, and the more we'll find to rejoice in. You know, I I hope my good friend Ryan Reeves won't mind me sharing this, but I strive to pray like him. There's not been a time that I haven't heard Ryan pray that I haven't been moved by the Holy Spirit. And it's so simple. He just praises God. He thanks him for his love, for his goodness. He thanks him for how he blesses us. He just, he pours out his heart and he leaves it all there at the throne of God, unashamed. And I would challenge anyone to come out of a conversation like that with our Heavenly Father and still be of the opinion that you're alone. Pray without ceasing, but pray for His glory, for true worship. Don't just pray to petition. Pray to know Him better and to be drawn closer to Him. And then get in His Word and find that in reading those things, kind of naturally happen. This is the core of in everything, give thanks. One day, all of creation will give thanks to God for being created. One day, every knee of mankind will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has not forsaken us. He's called us his children. God has accepted us through the blood of his son into his family. It's a family that we can never be removed from. We get to bow down to him now, knowing how great he is, how awesome he is, how he loves us, and how we don't deserve it. We don't have to wait to bow with all of humanity, saved and unsaved. As saved people, we get to bow before him now. He loves us so much and we just don't deserve it. And honestly, we can't do any of it by ourselves. It's easy to feel forsaken when we try to struggle through something in our own might. But then when we praise him in the storm, when we rejoice in every valley, when we pray in every moment, thank him for every breath, every situation, we'll be the ones that give him credit from generation to generation. We'll be the ones whose children's children stand as a testament to his faithfulness. It's in our children's children that those that have not yet been born will hear of the wondrous love of Jesus they'll be able to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. How he didn't forsake their forefathers in the faith. How they remained faithful in trials, in tribulation. How they rejoiced in health challenges, in pain, in their own weakness. 
how they gave God thanks in poverty and in riches, how they prayed for their families and together as a family. The love of God can heal so many wounds, even the ones that make us feel forsaken. And if your heart doesn't feel like praising, let your lips start the praise and your heart will catch up. Is his righteousness not worth our praise for all he's done for us? Next week, we're going to take a little walk through a very famous and well-known psalm. I can't wait to see what the Lord has for us there. Thanks for walking me while we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week? We'll walk just a little bit further. If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.